We're back. Real Kipper and Bourne. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And wherever you get your podcasts. And slip in a rating and review. So we can hear all... All your comments. Oh. How much you love Sammy and JB. And just hate, absolutely hate my takes. (laughs) (laughs) Including the one I had last night when I tweeted, maybe someone should fight Ryan Reeves just to get the most dangerous New York Ranger off the ice for five minutes. (laughs) And no one laughed. I thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) I laughed. Did you laugh? I laughed. No, listen, it was a great point. We got to get this absolute unstoppable force off the ice. Do the simple thing. Dance. I I think our next guest would have done it, Kipper. Any team had that philosophy playing against Keith Jones. Because Jonesy could bring it any which way. If you got Jonesy off the ice for five minutes, you did a hell of a job. Keith Jones, NHL on TNT, joins us now. How you Jonesy, doing, guys? Did you did you hear all of that? What you, I caught a little you, bit of that. Uh, I'm just saying, if Ryan you Reeves. For five minutes, if you, go ahead. I was just going to say, Ryan Reeves owned the Leafs last night. Pull him off the ice. No? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting <laughs> one. There, there's, no, there, there's, no, there's no doubt that uh, there's not many guys jumping up, putting their hand up in the air for that job. You know, but it's, <laughs> there's, guys that are, there's guys that are capable of doing it, though. Wayne Simmons can do it. I've watched him do it many times in his time in Philly, but... That probably would have been a good way to kind of continue to have some of the momentum that the Leafs had. I mean, they played well in the opening period, but Reeves definitely was a game changer. And the fourth line for the Rangers changed the entire complexion of the game. Yeah, there was. Uh, there's no doubt about that. You know, one thing we were just talking about with uh, Rick Tockett before you joined us was, um, you know, a scrap that could have taken place off the ice uh, between Leon Dreisaitl and Jim Matheson. I don't know uh, if you saw that, but I, I wanted to get your take on interacting with media as a player and if you ever had any sort of dealings with people you didn't like. Like, what's the appropriate way to handle it for a player when you just feel like a media member is not treating you fairly? I, I never had an issue with that personally. I always seemed to have a good relationship with the guys that followed the team. I, I always felt like there was a responsibility to give them something uh, since their job can be pretty monotonous. Uh, I always was one of the guys that they would come to often because they knew they would get an honest answer. So I, I've never been in a situation where I personally felt that I was being unfairly treated by someone who, you know, wrote something about me or asked me a question that uh, I would have a difficult time giving an answer to. I just answered the questions, and I don't think that's much to ask of the players. I think it's a little weird right now uh, the way it's situated because you don't really have an opportunity to, you know, stop and have a coffee with the guy, uh, get to know the, you know, the individual reporter as a person. And I think that was something that we did a lot more frequently back when I was playing. And I think a lot of it has to do with the pandemic. I think there's not as much, you know, just small talk that goes on between 
uh, reporter and player that kind of breaks the uh, you know what the barrier between the two where you actually get to know the person a little bit and I think there's less of that that took place when I was playing sure gave a clear indication and then we can even go back to Connor McDavid's comments uh, Keith just in terms of how he handled uh, the comments about Evander Kane uh, is just there's there's no question whether we're talking about uh, the Matheson situation with Dreisaitl or McDavid's comments about Evander Kane that there is a tremendous amount of pressure on these guys to win and win now and and carry the bulk of it on their own shoulders. But is it getting to the point where it's just too much? Well, they hear it from every angle, right? With with social media and all of their different accounts that they have personally, uh, I suspect that they pay attention to a lot of the noise that's going on around that. I think, Kipper, we were playing, you could ignore a lot of it. Uh, If you didn't want to read the paper, if you played poorly, you didn't read the paper. If you played well, you had a couple goals, you read the paper because you knew there was going to be something that was written positively about you. I think now these guys get instant feedback from not just reporters, but from the general public and from fans. And when you're losing, you know, fans are going to vent. And there's lots of different fans. There's a fan that lost a hundred bucks betting on you the night before and you didn't perform very well. There's a fan that just loves the team and is disappointed with the way that you're performing. And there's all kinds of people that are, you know, given the opportunity, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think from a fan's perspective, it's great, but you're given the opportunity to communicate your message to these players, you know, sometimes directly, but indirectly in many cases, but the players see it. They're on their phones all the time. And I I do think that even from the reporter's perspective, they're seeing what the fans are saying on a daily basis as well. And they're trying to convey that angry message to the player to see if they can get a response that gets them a few more clicks along the way as well. Something else that got a lot of clicks last night was uh, the video of watching Curtis McDermott and uh, Delorier fight for the uh, 396th time, I think. I don't know how many times those guys have fight. I think it's their fifth fight or something like that. You know, and you see them chit-chat after in the box. Uh, we saw Zidane Ochara chat with McEwen to see if he was okay after the fight. You know, did you ever have any relationships when you played where you played super hard against a guy but still had that sort of, like, I don't know, beer-at-the-bar uh, relationship with him? I'm fascinated by that level of level of competitiveness but still being able to remain somewhat friendly. Yeah, you know, that was always to reserve for the guys like Kip that fought the big tough guys. There was a, <laughs> a, obviously a, a, a mutual respect between the guys that would fight the heavyweights. I, I wasn't fighting the heavyweight, I can tell you that right now. I, I didn't mind fighting the middleweights, and there was, you know, there's a mutual respect there. But the fights that I would be involved with took place more because either I was angry or the guy that I was fighting was angry and wanted to kill me. Didn't mean you wouldn't stop by and have a beer with that guy later, but there were some things that lingered on beyond the playing surface that, you know, certain players just never got over. I never looked at it that way. I always felt like everyone was out there just doing their job. But so I, I don't have one particular player that I disliked more than anybody else or that carried anything after the game had left, carried anything forward. But I do believe that the guys that are doing it for a living, and 
there's a lot less of them in today's game. I uh, had a great respect for the job and not only respect for their own teammates that they were protecting, but respect for the guy that was protecting the players on the other team as well, knowing how difficult that job was. You know, we just had talk on the show and I was pumping his tires about TNT and the great chemistry and the knowledge, the experience, the energy, the street cred. And then I'm watching Delorier and McDermott get promoted on TNT like uh, Don King would a heavyweight fight. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> we're, we're trying to clean up the game up here. And you guys are just bringing it right back down to the eighties here. <laughs> Jonesy. Like, yeah. And I then, like and then, I mean, I think, Oh my gosh. And then Reeves last night, biggest star, biggest star in the league after the game. Yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, there's no doubt it still sells down here in that way. I mean, the, I think the fans. You know, I'm in Philadelphia covering the Flyers most nights that they play, and fans appreciate that style of hockey. And when you're not delivering it, and you're losing, the fans get angry. So I, I do think there's still, you know, a part in the game for that type of, you know, energy provided by guys that go out there and try to get their team going. Uh, by providing energy to the crowd, especially at home. And the Rangers fans were rocking last night, and it all, all had to do with Ryan Reeves. And it wasn't about a fight. It was about two goals that he scored. So, I mean, that's, the energy that's just that a great brings. example. It is. And that's, you know, those, you know, a spirited fight like they had in the later game, that's, you know, that's supposed to bring everybody's temperature up a little bit, get the guys more involved in the game, and, and then when you hear comments from Sheldon Keefe after the Leafs game that they, you know, played soft, it kind of brings it even more to the forefront, which uh, I'm not sure how I would have handled those type of comments when I was playing if I was playing for him. Hey, that McDermott's a big boy too, eh? Did you ever fight his dad? His dad was my first roommate in the NHL, kept in Washington shortly after you left and I arrived. Uh, Paul McDermott was my roommate, and he didn't talk to me for the first four months. He just, <laughs> it was his remote control. <laughs> it, was, it was his remote control. He was in charge of the room, and when I needed to say something, I, I could ask him something, and he might answer it or he might not. And when he went to dinner, he went to dinner with the guys, and I might get an invite or I might not because <laughs> I was a roommate. He and, played the role, and man. once Christmas hit, he did. And w once Christmas hit, I was invited to everything. But for the first, you know, three or four months, I just kind of sat there and learned the valuable lesson about respecting the veteran players on the team. And uh, I always appreciated a, 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 that part of what Paul McDermott brought to, to the table because I learned some valuable lessons from him. He was a great teammate. Oh, and he played heavy, too. Oh my God, he was a big, How do you thick feel guy. about that evolution from like how rookies used to be treated? I know it used to be over the top, but like there was almost something nice about the respect level of like you know the rookies kind of waited their turn. Even you know when I played junior, waited at the on the bus until the older guys get off. Do you think that we're better off not having that sort of a separation between rookies and and older players? I always appreciated it, but the younger guys guys at the, in those days, especially the young grinders like myself, were not being asked to do a whole lot, where today's young players come in and they're being asked, in many cases, to play in the top six, but 
I can remember Mike Eastwood, my old, was my roommate in college at Western Michigan, and when he was at the Maple Leafs farm team, I think in St. John's, Kevin McClellan was there near the end of his career. And Easty would call me like every two weeks. I was still in college for one more year. And he would be so upset about the way that this Kevin McClellan was treating him. He, like, he really wanted to just go home. He couldn't. It's like this guy wouldn't let him breathe without you know being right on top of him. He'd steal Easty's clothes and he'd wear it to the game. He, the stuff that he did to the guy was just <laughs> incredible. And then by the time Christmas rolled around, Easty called me after Christmas, and he and Kevin McClellan were the best of friends. And it was just – that's just the way it was. I, I, I thought it was healthy. I think at times, though, it got carried away, uh, especially when a team had a lot of veteran players that didn't want that young guy to have any confidence in, in order to keep their own job. It's where the term survivor came into play, where some of the older guys would just – push guys down and I'm sure there's some older guys right now playing in men's leagues that felt like if they were treated better they could have made the NHL and there's probably a few out there that you know had their opportunity taken away because they didn't want to deal with all the tough love that came with being a young player in a locker room trying to you know become a national hockey league player there has to remain a pecking order there has to be and some of these kids come in and and Right away, they're the most talented guy in the dressing room. I don't think there'd be any arguments out of some people that watched a guy like Jack Eichel come into Buffalo. But if you don't have these guys, these young kids, surrounded and insulated with a good veteran group that can even... I can't teach you how to stick handle. You already know that. I can't teach you how to skate fast. You already know that. But I can help you learn how to win in the National Hockey League. And if you underestimate that, man, you're 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 a bad general manager, Jonesy. Yeah, I still think it's a big part of it, and it's a big part of building a team. But some teams have no choice. I mean, some teams that have rebuilt and all of a sudden have an influx of young players arriving at the same time. I think Anaheim's a great example of that. And you know, they've they've got some young players that have excelled this year and have been on the highlights frequently. Does that mean at the end of this season that they're going to be a, you know, a playoff team? Are they guaranteed to do that? No, I would expect them to, to hit a wall at some point here. And, and I think because there is just so many guys that they're you know, adding to their roster, but they have no choice and their future is bright and all of those good things. But I don't think it's ideal. Ideally, you want to continue to you know, add young players to the mix of good, solid core veterans and I think Colorado's a great example of a, a team that's doing that right now. And Tampa did it, you know, extremely well and turned into, a, obviously, the juggernaut that they are today. But that's the way you want to build your team. But unfortunately, some teams are forced to, you know, sell a ton and then hope that the, the young guys can come together in a hurry and kind of build around them. But you'd rather have them come in and be a part of something immediately but also be in the right place in the pecking order when they arrive. Jonesy, you're in Philadelphia. What's going on with this Flyers team? What's it going to take you for them to get it turned around? It's the only thing is good health now. I mean, there's five centermen out of the lineup, and you take five centermen away from any team in the NHL, and you're not winning. So Kevin Hayes hasn't been healthy all year, although he did play some games. He's out again with the whatever the hip ailment is that he has Sean Couturier is their most important player. Uh, he's, you know, he's not Patrice Bergeron, but he's close. 
Uh, you take Bergeron out of the Bruins lineup, you're not winning. Uh, Broussard was bought, brought in to play center. He's been out for an extended period of time. Patrick Brown was brought in to add depth at center. He's been out for an extended period of time. And there's one other centerman that I'm forgetting about. They, they just had so many injuries in key spots that it's been impossible for them to gain any traction. They had a 10-game losing streak. They've lost nine in a row as they get ready to go in and do the game against Columbus tonight. And, I mean, you're just hoping that your goaltender can stand on his head. And you are also hoping that Ryan Ellis can get healthy and prove that uh, he can make the team better as well. So I would say injuries are the number one reason. And I don't care who's standing behind the bench for them right now. Uh, they're not going to replace the center ice position with guys that are, you know, jumping up from the minors and trying to play extended minutes and in the most important position in the game. Claude Giroux's on an expiring contract. Is it a foregone conclusion that they're going to try to move him? Is there is there a market for a guy uh, that still carries a lot on a salary cap? I think there is, Kip, and I think if the Flyers keep some of that salary, they could probably get even a bigger price. So the fact, the fact that there's some flexibility in uh, the teams being allowed to hold back some of that salary and allow a contract like Giroux to fit under the cap for the, a playoff run, uh, I think it's, I think it's a, something that really stands out to me that should happen. It's something, if I was Claude Giroux, that I would ask to have happen and have a chance to you know, join a contending team and add to what they have already. He's proven he can play wing or center, but he's been a better winger over the last few seasons. So you add him to the mix with a team that's got some outstanding centermen that are in a position to make a run to win a cup, and he's going to give you something. He's still a very talented hockey player, and uh, he deserves an opportunity to go out and try to get another, take another run at the cup. He had the one in 2010 right when he broke into the league, and uh, – I think that he'd be the type of player that would be a great addition to any team that's looking to try to win this thing. And we're, we're still going to have oh, a – go ahead. Go, JB. I uh, Just you know, before we, we let him go, I wanted to get his take on uh, on what's going on with the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, their your thought on the team in general, you know, after the talk of them being called soft by their head coach. Do you, do you think that this is a team that can compete with the Floridas and the Tampas and the Boston in such a tough division? I think they can. I think they were lacking depth on the blue line last night. I mean, I, with the injuries there to Muzzin and Hall, I think you're asking a lot from your bottom four. And I I kind of circled them before the game. Kenny Albert was sitting beside me, and I put a circle around the bottom four defensemen. I looked at him. I just shook my head. Like, this Rangers team has all kinds of offensive firepower. I know we talked about Reeves line providing it, but you give those guys enough time to get going and they're going to make you pay. Uh, They have to improve that back end if they don't get healthy. And that's always going to be a challenge. The best teams in this league, the teams that make runs in the playoffs are the teams that have the best blue line. Goaltending, of course, helps. It looks like the Leafs have a good one in Jack Campbell, but they don't have a blue line that matches up with the likes of Tampa, uh, who's got that left side that is better than any left side in the NHL with McDonough, Hedman, and Sergachev. The Leafs don't have that. And if you don't have that, you've got to have a miraculous performance out of your forwards in order to beat a team like Tampa. So they're a contender, but they're they're not a team that I would be picking to win the Stanley Cup unless they can somehow 
adjust that back end and make it a lot better than it is. Jones, you got, you got a Dale Hunter story for me. I uh, the best one I have kept is, you know, I, I took his brother Mark's job. And that's when I got called up to the Capitals. Mark was playing for him, but he broke his thumb. And I got called up. I played a few games with Dale, and Pat Elenick was our other lineman, line yeah. mate. And I was sitting have, having dinner with Huntsy, and he, he looked at me and he said, uh, I got to ask you something. I was like, what? He said, if you're sitting at, you know, we're at this kitchen table at his house. He says, if somebody walked in here and you had 500 grand sitting on the table, they picked up that 500 grand and walked out. He said, what are you, you, you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go after him. He goes, you're going to fight him? I said, yeah, I'm going to fight him. He goes, well, do it on the ice. He goes, why, why aren't <laughs> you doing it out there? You're, you know, and I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And that was like, it was just an eye-opening comment that was, you know, the way Huntsy was. That's just how he was. And it was a great lesson for me. So I, I started fighting in order to stay in the lineup. And in essence, was taking his brother's spot on his great advice and that allowed me to get started in the NHL. I got traded for Mark. That was the deal. Me well, for there, Mark that's Hunter. right. That's right. I forgot about well, that. Nope. Yeah, but if Mark didn't get hurt, I wouldn't be there. I, you never know. You never you, you never know until you get in there and you get your opportunity. And if you have, you know if you make good on it and you have the support of some of your teammates, including your captain like Dale Hunter, then you might turn into a half decent NHL player. I'm sure Huntsy at the end of the year asked for a percentage off that 500 grand. <laughs> he never asked for money. He kept the salaries <laughs> down for so long. We kept pushing him. You got to get paid more. He was um, one of those loyal he, guys, man. He, he he only bought one suit his whole career, and he had it when he was drafted. <laughs> but he did. He didn't mind cutting your tie in ha- half or cutting the tassels <laughs> off your dress shoes or. You know, taking your suit. I remember he took the heels of the of John Druce's uh, dress shoes. He can manipulate them. Druce almost fell off the bus and broke his ankle because <laughs> the heel fell off his shoe. No, he was the best. He was he was he one was of the, the best, best practical jokers. And yeah, he was. I'm glad he's doing so well there. It's awesome. Oh my goodness, he's just raking it in, raking it in with the London Knights. Good on him and good on you, Jonesy, for joining us. Uh, Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Good to catch up with you guys. Take care, guys. Thanks, Jonesy. Former NHLer Keith Jones doing a great job on the uh, NHL on TNT, also with the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, this has uh, been The Real Kipper and Born, brought to you by TNT today. We have co-opted all of their personalities. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're, they're, They're doing all the heavy lifting for us today. JB. Yeah. Well, both, yeah. both so, good dudes. A couple of tough guys too. Where do you uh where do you want to go? Because uh a lot of people in social media having some fun with Brad Marchand uh going after Carolina, Sammy. You you've liked that little exchange? Yeah, lay it out for us. I you? I just think that Brad Marchand. Oh. Did we lose Sammy? Sam we Yeah, we lost, we lost Sammy, Sammy because it is against the rules that a super Leaf fan can publicly say nice things about a Boston Bruin. And I think yeah, that's where sorry, he was boys. leaning, JB. Oh, we got him. We got I, him. I'm back. I'm back. Sorry, boys. I don't know what the hell happens. Um, <laughs> I went off into the ether. I'm into the abyss. But 
basically somebody asked Vincent Trocek if he compared himself to Brad Marchand in his game. So then uh, Vincent Trocek responded to that question by saying, are you calling me a rat? Anyways, that clip went a little bit viral. Brad Marchand caught a little wind of it and posted something on his Instagram, which he since deleted. But he said, this is what happens when you compare a, a Prius to a Lamborghini. And he put up their stats side by side. So that, that post got deleted. His PR firm probably freaked out. Somebody at the Bruins was probably less than thrilled. Maybe Cam Neely got a hold of him. Our boy Neely got a hold of him. Who knows what happened? Anyways, after the Carolina Hurricanes waxed the Boston Bruins 7-1 the other night, they tweeted out a, uh, a thing that said, L is for Lamborghini, implying the loss <laughs> is for Lamborghini, what he compared himself to. Anyways, Marshawn goes on Twitter and just goes back at them and says, you guys are the reason we played 20% in escrow to the Carolina <laughs> Hurricanes Twitter account. Just right to the deepest cuts possible. Guy, You're irrelevant. He is on an absolute warpath on social media, and I hate that Brad Marchand is like my favorite player in the league. Why do I love you Brad Marchand so much? You can't say that. I love him. I love him. I love him. It breaks my heart. I love him. The stuff about the Olympics, I completely agreed with him wholeheartedly on what he said. Everything, he's so good. He plays a gritty game. I adore Brad Marchand. It breaks my heart, boys. As a Leafs fan, you're heart. supposed to like Dennis We do not Hogan. agree. <laughs> <laughs> See, he he reminds you what you don't have here. That's the issue. I know. He really – but there's nobody has him. He's he's a he's a one-of-one. One. Like, he's a Tom Wilson type. Not the same kind of player, but I'm just saying that there's no comparables to him in the league. The guy that plays with that no. edge, the guy that plays that style, he's just – I honestly still think that he's super underrated for how good he is. I don't, I don't think he gets talked about amongst the upper echelon of the league the yeah. amount he needs to compared to other top and, guys. He's really amazing. Yeah, uh, he is um... – He's heading towards Hall of Fame status. Oh, no doubt. And I'm you know where interested. he doesn't get enough, you know, just uh, quickly, JB, you know where he doesn't get nearly the confidence or the, the, the credit, I'm sorry, is shorthanded. Oh, yeah. yeah. He is, he is the best threat. shorthanded player in the league. Uh, the threat of scoring shorthanded, producing, like it's not often, and again, from the Brian Burke school of thought, uh, this type of player should not be killing penalties, and he may be go be going down as one of the better ones in history. Yeah, you know, Marner would be up there in the league, but uh, Marshawn was probably the best. You know, when you throw I, him I, I, when, when you throw him and Bergeron over the boards in the penalty kill, you're more likely to score than the <laughs> power play. I think. I know. Well, and, and I am curious though how the social media stuff affects. You know, one one thing would be Hall of Fame candidacy, right? Because, like, it's pretty rare when, you know, all the time we're talking about, ah, the Sedins and these classy guys and classy Sackick and classy Korea. Like, it'll be different when Brad Marchand gets, uh, you know, were to get that sort of nod. But I guess it doesn't matter in the end. I just wonder if the social media stuff is survivable. Like, I would love to see more players be like that. You know, to be funny and be involved and engage and take shots at each other. But, you know, the PR guys today just know. want to we're, kill everything these guys do, Kipper. Do you want to spend all day watching people take shots at each other? I would like I them to drum up some drama. I, yeah, I would. Here's the right? thing. I, you I want to be it, entertained. I, yes. It, <laughs> but it, 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 it holds different weight when it's got – like, you got to be able to walk the walk. 
Like, I, I don't think if there's certain guys going on, on Twitter and, and chirping people, and I think there's a lot of guys that wouldn't be able to get away with this, and we wouldn't be giving them the same amount of credit that we're giving Marshawn. Marshawn is a special breed. He's the type he of guy where you like this from him, and he chirps on the ice. Like, he had Panarin throwing his glove at him because he was making, you know, comments about not being liked in Russia. Like, this guy is an elite <laughs> chirper who gets under a guy's skin, and he takes it off the ice. I love it. There I, is, oh, like, a, a Hannibal Lecter piece of him where it's like, if you can talk to a guy through the jail cell walls and make him swallow his own tongue like Hannibal Lecter, you're a great talker. That's what Marshawn does to people. It makes them crazy. It makes them throw gloves. This guy makes it. It's just, it's a true skill of his. It's crazy. After everything we've watched over the last few years on social media, do you guys trust people to know where to draw the line? Because... Once yeah. you start playing this one-up game, it, it it emotionally takes you maybe to a place that you might thought you've ne- you wouldn't go, but you go. I just I just think that you got to be really careful if you're just gonna you're you're gonna get into that game. That's all. Yeah. No, it that's is. Fair. It's dicey that's a fair. Sure. That's a fair and, point. Hundred percent. And I get why PR able- people don't want the players doing it, but I, I you know I just want to be entertained. Okay. Boys, we got we got to talk about Ovi here, and I I actually uh, prepared something for the show that I didn't sh- listen, didn't let you guys listen to. I didn't. So now I know it's I know it's Borny's favorite thing to talk about Ovi and to talk about the chase. So uh, oh, I put something together, a little sounder. Derek, do we have that ready? Can we hit that? Let's go to Brian Fantano. Live on, on the scene with a Channel Four <laughs> News exclusive. Brian. Ovi watch. The mood is tense. I have been on some serious, serious reports, but nothing quite like this. I, 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 I... Ovechkin? ...is inside right now. I tried to get an interview with him, but they said, nope, you can't do that. He's a live bear. He will literally rip your face off. Hey, you're making me look stupid. Get out here! Ovechkin? Great story. Compelling and rich. <laughs> Very nice, Sammy. Nice, solid oh, producing. Solid we, we I just wanted to surprise to you have... with that guy. I know Kip loves Anchor Man, so we we may have to. Uh... Whale's <laughs> vagina. <laughs> the trick is we need Kipper saying it on this show because it did happen. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But uh, uh... it is. It is remarkable. I, I don't know other, what other word to use, but he is now past Connor McDavid. Come on. Yeah, he is in first in NHL scoring, leading not the Rocket Richard race, but the Art Ross Trophy race at this point. I, I don't even know what to say about Holy that. This is prime McDavid. Yeah. Like, guys, does he have a chance? Does he have a chance to win the Art Ross? I, I don't know. I, I'm done I doubting this guy. I, I, I can't see it with Connor McDavid still, uh, even under all this inconsistency out of Edmonton. I just don't know how you can keep this title away from Connor McDavid. He's now, Connor McDavid has 53 points in 34 games, and Ovi has 55 and 40. 
the the Oilers have played not a lot of hockey over the last little while, so I think that's probably the, one of the main reasons. But the fact that he's even up there still is ridiculous. So I uh, just had to get a little OV watch in there because I know it's Borny's. And we're getting closer. We're inching closer here. So, uh, yeah, he's been unbelievable. Uh, they, they've been scuffling a little bit, but they got a nice win last night against the, or two nights ago against the Jets. Tom Wilson scored in overtime. So maybe they're heading right in the right direction. Yeah, no, it's the, a, the Ovechkin thing a, is a fascination. Go ahead, Kipper. I'm just wondering, too. I, I don't know if he was asked about uh, the NHL All-Star game, and I don't think he gave a, a real commitment whether or not he's going to be there or not. Did you catch that? Did he no, say something no. like, uh, I'll, I'll see I'll see how I feel or I see how my body responds, or I think he kind of laid into that. I, I, that might have been his... His disappointment of not going to the Olympics still, uh, still well, there. Yeah. But uh, well, I think there is some legitimate resentment from guys, and Sam, you've referenced that too. But like, if Brad Marchand, we know, will speak up on just about anything, where a lot of guys won't say a darn word, you know, I think a lot of guys are holding their tongue on the Olympics thing, and I do wonder if that would be an Ovechkin little bit of a revenge play. Plus, he's made so much money in his career. What's a one-game suspension if he doesn't go, Kipper? That probably costs him twenty grand. What does he care? Yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, or he just w- wants to rest. Uh, whatever the case is, and that would be deserved, uh, of course. Yeah, but it wouldn't be seen that way at this point. I think the you NHL think it would. I think they're pretty thrilled that those two guys aren't going to the Olympics because you know I'm sort of going to the the All Star Game because. There's always the media availabilities. Those two guys going to the Olympics, Ovier or, or uh, sorry, going to the All Star Game, Ovier Marchand, getting asked about the Olympics could go very badly for the NHL on a big stage. I think. Yeah, no, that is one of the more fascinating things to watch. Yeah, how many games on tap tonight? We, I think we got about uh, eight, maybe. Uh, we mentioned uh, the Edmonton Oilers going at it tonight, and uh, uh, this is a pivotal game here. This is coming off a lot of rest, a lot of things to think about, a lot of soul searching, a lot of video. What did you think of Talk's comments that, like, even if you got to play a one-four, like, is it even realistic to change the way you play just to just to find a way to get one? You think you're going to convince Connor McDavid one-four? <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question about how coachable he is. Like, if that's what your coach wants to do, you should better hope so. I I just uh, you you open up the gate and you let ninety seven go and, uh, and and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the only way. To me, if one four gives you a better chance of winning hockey games, you play a one four every night, and it doesn't. So, yeah, I, I agree. That's going to be uh, great drama too. The 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 news out of Calgary and, and Edmonton these days has been. You know, can these guys find a way back into being playoff teams? Because for the Oilers, you know, you keep hearing everyone like Elliot saying it's not just about or they can't miss playoffs. You know, I think they had higher aspirations than just playoffs, didn't they? Like, isn't this supposed to be a team that has a chance to win the Stanley Cup? Wasn't that the thought going into the year? Uh, Huge expectations. At least Calgary came back with a pretty convincing win uh, Tuesday night against Florida. And... uh, that completely gets them back on the rails a little bit here. That's a that's a good hockey club, but have you seen the Florida Panthers' road record? They've no. played a ton of games at home, but not overly impressive. 
Well, that would be encouraging if you're a Leafs fan, at least to find some sort of weak spot. Um, you know, yeah. the, the well, and honestly, though, Sam, like there's not much of one. I do wonder, uh, you know, what comes of this Chikrin stuff? Because isn't Florida and Edmonton, aren't they two teams that are mentioned uh, in the in the race there? Kipper, any updates on Chikrin? Yeah, I don't think the, the, the price of poker has significantly gone down uh, in the last little while. Uh, like, a lot of teams now are going to have their, their scouting uh, meetings. So it's pro and amateur getting together here. I, I don't imagine anything's going to happen of significance until the majority of these teams uh, revisit a lot of things under their organizational umbrella here. So... Another couple of weeks before we see stuff happening is is probably a best-case scenario, but I don't expect anything to happen with Chikrin anytime soon. I guess just the idea is just drive the price up here and try to get as many teams in as possible. I just wonder if the longer they wait, if they don't lose more teams who suddenly realize that they don't have much of a shot. I don't know. I, I was all excited about the trade deadline here, and it feels like things are really slowing down on the potential uh, moves around the NHL. Well... Ben Chirot's a, a, an interesting name because we know the Montreal Canadiens are going to move him, and I, I just don't know how, how quick someone wants to, to spend. And the ask will be a first-rounder. There's no question. Someone was saying Buffalo was asking, uh, I think they got Colin Miller there for uh, a potential trade, and it's like, does Buffalo think that they're going to get a first- or second-rounder for him? Do prices go up or do they drop the closer you get and teams are out? This is... uh, For Colin Miller? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Buffalo thinks that there's a premium on on the ask on defense and they're going to try to hit a home run with uh, trading him at the deadline. That helps. I mean, you look at what's happened with defensemen lately. Talk about, like, you know, the game has gotten faster and more skilled, but the appreciation for D has gone up. You look at the contracts for Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski and, you know, a number of these big deals that have done recently, not to mention what some of these guys are are fetching. Yeah, McAvoy, what guys are fetching in the trade market. Like, it seems to me the GMs are saying, hey, this position is, you know, the absolutely most important thing we can get outside of a goaltender heading into postseason. Yeah, we're going to get into it uh, in the next few weeks in terms of, of, of really dissecting the availability. But on a whole, if you take a look at what truly uh, is out there, I'm not sure there's a ton of help for a, a lot of teams. But Including we'll get into the team that. we're talking uh, about. <laughs> it's especially the team that we're talking about. And there let's not forget. It trades. Was, it was very expensive. Nick Felino was a very expensive mistake. Yeah, that hurt. Kyle Dubas cannot afford another one. He has to nail the next one that he that he gets on, on that blue line. If it costs him a first or a second and a third, whatever the case is, he has to get it right. This is this is the year. Yeah, and the the transaction front has dried up, as Sammy mentioned. Not to mention the return of big names has dried up too. Like we thought, uh, maybe Carey Price, but we also thought Mary, maybe Jack Eichel would be coming back, and seems like he's going to be a little while longer, another month plus, right? Well, with no Olympics, there's there's nothing really to uh, to really force his hand to, to try to get uh, in at a specific time. So I think they're they're going to be cautious with them, and that's not a, a bad mistake. 
they've solidified their spot in, in the playoffs. So uh, not overly surprised. Max Pacioretty's closer to returning as well. So that alleviates uh, some of the pressure for Jack to come back. Evander Kane, guys, I hear no news uh, going into the end of the week. That, that will have to wait as well to next week for the Edmonton Oilers to possibly know if they got a chance at, at signing him. Alrighty. Wow, we jam-packed a ton, eh? Yeah, busy show. Good job, everybody, and thanks for listening. We're right back at it tomorrow on Real Kipper and Born. Have a great night.